0: Well, again, I want to just thank you for being the studio audience today. I, I appreciate that. It is interesting because so many um, of you in your world and even just in my own world have had people who are personally affected um, just to the virus that's kind of sweeping through our community. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for joining us online. If this is maybe your first time, maybe you've never engaged in a service, I'm grateful. My name is John. I get to serve as lead pastor. and. uh It's a really interesting time to be a lead pastor. That's all I'll say. And I bet in your world it's a really interesting time to be a boss or an employee or a student or a kid or a high schooler right now. And you're just trying to figure some stuff out just like we all are. Um, But I am so grateful as we get to gather together. I need this reminder. I need this gathering. I need to be in touch again with people to remind me I'm not totally crazy, that that we can still follow God and we can still do these things even when it feels like this is so, so different. Um, I've been spending a lot more time as it gets colder. Some of you know this, I I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and I think my body is still set to that thermostat. And so uh, when I show up in Michigan every single winter, I'm just reminded of how much I hate being cold and how much I hate just when there's no sun for like weeks on end, I just don't do well mentally. And uh, I just spend a lot more time inside. Like some of the inside things you do are fun. Like uh, obviously you get to put up the Christmas tree. Some of you did that. Some of you went and bought and hacked out a Christmas tree and put it up. And uh, what's interesting is the more time I spend in in my house, the more I'm reminded that we are mid-renovation at our house. Like we've lived there over a year, but we are nowhere near done with so many things. There's still multiple places in my house I can see drywall and put my hand through spots that should be covered and open wiring and just, it sounds way worse than it is, but it's pretty bad. Like it's pretty open um, right now. But what's really interesting is that there have been some pretty major projects that we've done. Like you have to remind yourself, okay, we did this and that. Some of you in the room have been blessed to be a part of those projects with me. And uh, one of those was our floor. And some of you already know this. I shared in the spring, we laid about 800 square feet of floor, but uh, this was after I laid 800 square feet of floor. This picture is representative of what we had happen about a week after the floor was done. Some of you remember the story. Uh, What we discovered, we were walking through one night and Lindsay said, "I, I feel bubbles of water coming up under my feet which you should never have in your house. That's <laughs> just the worst feeling, and when you hear squishy sounds in your kitchen, something is terribly wrong. If you have that, come see me. I can tell you exactly what to do. And uh, what was interesting is, as we kind of dug into it, at first we thought, well, it's probably just a leaky dishwasher. It may just have like a, a valve or something's not fully sealed, or maybe there was a leak in the dishwasher line or something like that. So we did what smart people do. We took the first step, which was get a couple box fans, air it out. And so we got a couple box fans. Day goes by, two two days go by, almost three days go by, and this water has not stopped filling underneath our floor. And I am like getting very disturbed. I'm like doing the math in my head how much I already spent on this project. I'm like, no, I do not want to have to redo this whole thing. And so uh, we did what every good homeowner would do. We called a friend who actually knows what they're doing. And so that wasn't me. I called my friend, Mark, and he was like, all right, I hate to say it, but you're gonna have to take all this up. And so we slowly took basically half of what we had laid down out of the kitchen, and you're seeing some of the remnants. Go to that next picture if you can. Um, This was the problem spot. So we had this small water line after we ripped up all the underlayment, all the laminate floor that had been cracked or broken somehow, and was just dripping water up into our floor for like a week straight. You're not laughing because you're feeling my pain, right? Like that was, it was an awful realization. Uh, But when I think about some of those projects, and I think about even that floor leak, I was reflecting on it this week. The floor leak was such a big problem, two box fans wouldn't solve the problem. Like we had to eventually take up everything in our floor, like the underlayment we had laid, all the click together, had to unclick it, we had to dry it out. There was, it was a massive undertaking, took about a week total to take it all out, to dry it out, and put it all back in eventually, and only had to buy a couple more cases of water, or cases of floor, shameless plug for Pergo. That was just a great decision on my part, apparently. Um, It worked out, but uh, as you look at that problem, as you look at even just the problems in your own world, maybe they're home renovation, maybe they're personal, maybe they're relational, but there are some things that are just too big for us. There are some situations that are, are just so broken, that They're not easy fixes. They're not quick fixes. They're not really simple things. There's a saying in psychology, uh, you can't heal it until you feel it. You can't heal it until you feel it. and that, That's true with a toothache. That's true with conflict in your marriage or in your relationships or with your roommates. Uh, that's especially true when it comes to kind of systemic issues in our world. Think about things like poverty or racism or even just a pandemic itself, you can't really heal it until you feel it. Here's what I think is interesting. There was really no way I would have ever healed the situation or, or needed some kind of restoration to the floor unless I felt the water and realized, okay, after a couple hours of box fans in my kitchen, it's something much, much deeper. Can I acknowledge what all of us are feeling as we head into Christmas? I would say every single one of us, that's why we called this series Weary World Rejoices, every single one of us, maybe not merely physical, feel a sense of weariness. And maybe it's internal and it's hard to describe. Maybe you haven't clearly identified what that is. Maybe for you it's really clear and your relationships feel it, your bank account feels it, your even just how you're approaching life on how you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning, you feel that weariness and whether you know it or not whether you know it or not in this Christmas season we're all bringing this level of weariness and Michael Buble Christmas cannot fix it for you like you could play that album all day long and put all the decorations up but there's this inner sense of weariness that all of us if we're in tune enough with ourselves to know we are not able to heal it to fix it to resolve it on our own And so what we wanted to do, as you look at the story of Scripture, you see Israel, this nation God had set aside, they were asking the similar question, what do we do about these broken places? What do we do when we realize we can't heal ourselves? What do we do when we long for redemption but don't know where to find it? Enter the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 61, it's actually the servant song. He was a prophet of Israel around 700 years prior to Jesus being born and coming onto the scene. And he writes these beautiful, really four-servant songs in Isaiah, uh, and a couple of them are captured in 60, 61, and 62. Now, to help us engage, and if you're watching online, it's going to be really easy for you. uh, The scripture won't be on the screen because I actually want to read it over you, but if you want to pull out and follow along, Isaiah 61, we're going to read the whole 11 verses, and I want you to catch what's going on. As he's writing these prophecies, this is what Isaiah 61 says. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Do you hear the weariness of Israel at this point? Devastation. Their land had been literally invaded by this neighboring country called Assyria, destroyed. Their economy was collapsed. Their family ties were stretched. Their physical homes and shelters were literally destroyed. I mean, picture this in your community. The devastation. This is what Isaiah is addressing. He's saying those ruined places that have been devastated for generations will be rebuilt. Verse 5. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You'll feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so you'll inherit a double portion in your land, more than you asked for. Everlasting joy will be yours. And this is what God says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people, make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. This is God speaking through the mouth, through the words of Isaiah to a people who have been devastated, who were weary, who were not having a lot of reasons to rejoice. Isaiah writes, I delight greatly in the Lord, verse 10. My soul rejoices in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me or or put on to me a robe of of His righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up, A garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. This is the vision Isaiah gives to a people who were weary. Who were asking the question, we have all these broken places, not only in our economy, not only in our own families, but spiritually speaking, we are devastated. What is going to happen to us? And Isaiah is one of these prophets who gives a lot of warnings to Israel, trying to correct them and realign them with God's will, but also gives them hope. And During this chapter, as Isaiah is writing, they're sitting there thinking, what is going to happen to us? Where's the world going? Like, I thought the Messiah was coming. I thought we had a promise. I thought we were going to be redeemed, and yet we're not. And here's what I want. I think Isaiah tries to point this out, and Israel felt it. you and I may feel it too is that you don't long for a Messiah until you know you need one. You and I don't long for salvation or redemption or restoration in our own lives or healing in our own lives until there comes a point where you recognize, I need that. Some of you sitting today have made the decision to follow Jesus and surrendered your lives to him. You had a point where you said, I can't get to where I want to go on my own. I, I, I need something greater. There's, there's sin, there's brokenness, there's uh, fractured relationships that I can't seem to micromanage my way out of. I, I need something greater. And you surrendered to Jesus. And, and you're living a life that, that's overwhelmed and overcome by that reality, hopefully, every single day. But this is what's happening in, in Israel's life. This is what I think is happening in our own world. You don't long for Messiah. There's Advent. This word really just means longing, holy expectation. You don't Advent. You don't long for something until there's a moment of clarity in your own life and desperation. I need that. I'm broken, and there's something that I don't have. It's why if you kind of reverse engineer Isaiah 61, if you want to look at these first couple of verses with me, Some of the things that Isaiah points out that are going to happen when the kingdom of God comes onto the scene, when hopefully the servant, whoever the servant was, was going to step onto Israel's scene, he was going to address these broken places. And Isaiah points out the poor. If you're poor, you are both financially and even socially weak. You have low capacity. You're not really able to pull yourself up the way other people possibly could. He addresses the brokenhearted says so that the servant is going to come in and heal. He's going to bind up, really put back together the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted people know they have a need. They're emotionally drained. Maybe they're relationally stretched. Maybe they have experienced a loss of love when they have an emotional gap in their lives. And Isaiah says the servant, the promised one, is going to step in. He's going to bind up those wounds. Uh, Isaiah talks about release from darkness, which kind of has this spiritual connotation think about uh, demonic oppression in the new testament where jesus casts out he releases people from the grip and the and the chains of darkness the servant's going to re- redeem them from these dark places he talks about the year of the lord's favor this spiritual abundance this blessing that was way greater than israel had ever experienced he talks in verse 5 about strangers being shepherds foreigners tending vineyards this is the picture of people who across Political, who across geographical, who across racial and ethnic lines are going to come together as one people. A, a vision we have yet to see in our day. We, we have not experienced what that unity of the kingdom of God truly looks like. And they're asking the question, and, and Isaiah is trying to point out to something greater who's going to do something about these broken places? Who's going to step in and heal us and restore us from our weariness. You and I are probably more aware than ever about the broken places in our own community, in our own families, in our own workplace, in our own school, in our own neighborhood. Um, I, I was just sitting with this and thinking about I was, I, I was like, I want to identify with this even personally. I think about uh, there's some things that I think in our community people should do something about. Who should do something in our community about addicted students? Students whose lives have been wrecked by vaping or pornography or addiction to, to drugs or alcohol, kids in our high school five minutes away. I'm not talking about like out there, I'm talking about right here. Someone should do something about that. I think about spouses who cheat on each other back and forth, whether it's online or in real life with an affair. I think about uh, some leaders in our community have shared with me multiple times that Byron Center, the community that our church is in, has a higher, nas- has a higher average of divorce than the national average. Someone should do something about that. Someone, someone should step in and, and do something about that. Uh, I think about uh, alcohol abuse in our community. Medically speaking, this is not probably news to you, four or five drinks at a time is considered excessive and is labeled as binge drinking. Some of you are like, I thought it was 10. (laughs) Like, Christmas is coming up, John. You can't be telling me four or five. Like, Some of you are are in that. You've experienced what that's like. Some of you have experienced what it's like to lose control to a substance like that. Online sales of alcohol, April of this year, were up 500% over April of last year. Someone should do something about that. Someone should step in and do something. Think about just the rise and the exposure that we've all had to racism in our country over the last couple weeks and months and even years that we just didn't have on our radar. People that if we stepped into their shoes, our experience would be incredibly different than the one you and I tend to live out. Someone should do something about that. I think about the grip of greed and materialism that so easily sweeps into our own community and through the lens of an escalade it's sometimes hard to see the needs around us. And through the rearview mirror of our new boat or I don't know do boats have rearview mirrors? <laughs> I was going to say that that just gave it away. I've obviously never owned a boat. Um Through a new cottage or a nicer lawn. It's sometimes hard to see the needs, and our hearts get easily trapped in greed and materialism. Someone should do something about that. I think about physical disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, COVID 19, the things that you and I are feeling the pressure on. Someone should do something about that. This is why Christmas is good news because someone did something about that. And it wasn't you, (laughs) it wasn't Israel. It was the servant. It was someone greater. It was a redemptive force that was so much stronger and more powerful than us. This is why I think Christmas is good news. This is why the weary world can rejoice even when things look really, really dark and devastated and you're looking through the ruins and rubble of a community, you can see glimpses of what Isaiah 61 is talking about. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are partnered with. This is Why Frederick Buchner, this writer and theologian, this this quote floored me this week and I want to read it together and just have you embrace it and let it sink in. He says this about Christmas. The good news breaks into a world where the news has been so bad for so long that when it's good, nobody hears it much except for a few. Who are the few? The ones who labor and are heavy laden like everybody else, but who? unlike everybody else, know that they labor and are heavy laden. They are the ones who are willing to believe in miracles because they know it will take a miracle to fill the empty place inside of them. Maybe the truth of it is that it's too good not to be true. Christmas, this is the power. This is is why Christmas matters. This is why thousands of years later, years later we're still talking about the fact that good news was embodied in a person and came to do something about it you and i this christmas we don't long for a messiah until we know we need one and we need the same thing that israel needed we need hope we need joy we need peace we need rescue so i want to ask you the question as we close what brokenness breaks your heart what's the thing when you see it in our community in your world in your family in your workplace in your university, what's the thing that just, that stirs you It doesn't allow you to move on? It makes you angry, it makes you sad, it makes you confused, It, it starts to prick at something in your soul. What brokenness breaks your heart? Think about that question. The second question is a little bit more intense. Some of you may dare to wrestle with this question this week. What does God wanna heal in you? this Christmas? Not just in the world, not just someone in the community should do something about this thing or that thing or that issue. What's the thing in you that's a broken place? That you know that this Christmas, for a weary world to rejoice in your own heart, this is what it would take for God to heal something that you know you can't heal. Some of you are like, I don't even know where to start with all of this. I want to give you one clear next step, and this is not going to be fun or comfortable for you to do. And so if you engage in it, I am praying for you because I'm gonna engage in it this week. It's really clear. Ask God this week to show you the broken places in your circle, in your world. God, what is broken around me? What have my eyes glossed over? Who's the person who I work next to, who is hurting and emotionally burnt out or distressed, who is struggling financially? Maybe a neighbor who you know has lost somebody or is going through a physically difficult time, I ask God, God, would you just open my eyes a little bit? Show me this Christmas who you want to embrace, who you want to step into, who I can bring the good news to. I want to pray for us, and I want to actually show you a video of a way that we as a church are engaging in a broken place in our community this Christmas, the way we're stepping in and engaging and going outside of ourselves, outside of these walls, and doing something about it. But I know It's easy to sit here and it's easy to gloss over the fact that there's stuff in your own heart that God wants to make new and to redeem and maybe even set you free from, to heal you from uh, this Christmas. So I just wanna pray for you before we watch this video. Father, we just come before you and in the quietness of this moment, we ask two things. One, that you would make us aware of our need, that we don't really ever long for Messiah. We don't ever long for you until we know how much we need you. So I pray, God, would you make us aware of how much we need you? And secondly, I pray that you would help us to stop running to everything else to achieve that satisfaction or that solution or the healing that can only come from you, that only really comes from us surrendering to you. So God, free us from the grip of sin. Free us from the grip to to try to do it on our own. Free us from acting independent from you this Christmas. And I pray that you meet us right where we're at in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have an opportunity uh, to partner this Christmas and the next couple Sundays with Hope Unexpected, which we've partnered with before. But Hope Unexpected is a program that was actually founded here in our community in the Byron Center Wyoming area that resources moms who are recovering mainly of them from abuse backgrounds and trying to start out in a new life, who often are single parents and trying to figure this out multiple kids and have been dealt a really tough hand by life. And there's about 36 moms in the program right here in Byron Center that we support. We have people in our church who sit on the board of this organization Uh, And this Christmas, we're going to respond in a really cool way. But I want to show you just a story of someone who's a part of this program to help you get a little bit more in touch if you're not familiar with it. And then I'll talk about how we're going to respond as a church. Let's check it out.
1: Right now, I'm 27. I have two kids. King is four, Amais is one. I had him last year in May. It's been a great being a mom. It made me, it brought out more characteristics that I didn't think I had with my kids. You know what I'm saying? I want nothing but the best for my boys. Me and their dad, we met back in high school. Because Edward is not as present as he should, I have to do a lot on my own. One job I work for the city of Grand Rapids, I am a, a parking security officer. My second job, I work at a convenience store. Both jobs, I work third shift. Third shift, two kids, it's a bad combination, a very, very bad combination. But the way my support system is set up is what I have to do. I had some tough times. Like, just being in a shelter in Muskegon, that's when went went down, 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 downhill. Everything's shattered. They'll just be my kids. Back and forth to Mesquite. I'm still working two jobs. I don't want to go back. I do not want to go back. I was in a Pay It Forward Facebook group and I got an inbox from Christine and she was like telling me who she was. We met, we sat, we've gotten to know one another, and that's when she told me about Hope Unexpected. January of this year, that's when we all started coming here. And I've met with other girls, gotten to know their stories and where they came from. Since I've been in this program, it has helped very much so a lot. Just getting closer to God, and then like getting to know others. Learning to to express who I really am because I am a sacred, closed-in person, you know what I'm saying? After every Bible study, we were given diapers, wipes, snacks, any meals that we had here that we, we sent them home from leftovers, medicine, books for the kids, you know, a little bit of everything. When I come to hope and expect it, I feel relaxed. I can breathe. I feel supported. I feel good. I feel loved.